BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Listen, there's a reason that the phrase starving artists exists. The people who make beautiful things in our world commit to a life that can be really difficult financially. And we're in the wildly expensive Bay Area. And we're in this pandemic era, which hurt anybody whose livelihood depended on gathering strangers in a room. But our KQED arts team hit the pavement to find the people who are adapting to this new environment and building a new creative economy. It's not just about money either, but sharing all kinds of resources and support in the face of structural oppressions. We'll talk about how they do it with performing artists, culture amplifiers, and space makers. That conversation's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Hope you're enjoying your Friday. It's beautiful weather. We're joined this morning by two friends of the show, KQED's own arts and culture writers, Nastia Bonivskaya and Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, who are here to share the stories for this impressive package that the arts team has put together. It's called Our Creative Futures, and you can find it on kqed.org. Thank you so much for joining us, Nastia and Carlos. Hi, Alexis. Thanks for having us. Hey, Alexis. Great to be here, man. Yeah, great, great to have you both. Also, we know this is really a community conversation, so we want to hear from all kinds of artists out here. We're going to hear from some uh, that are joining us here in the studio. But we've got musicians, performers, visual artists. Did you find ways to support yourself as an artist during the pandemic? How did that change the economics for you? And how did your life just as an artist in this extremely expensive Bay Area change? You can give us a call. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's KQD Forum. And the email is forum at kqd.org. Nastya, why don't you tell us a little bit about this sort of core idea behind our creative futures? 
Yeah. So um, California's economy fully reopened almost exactly a year ago. And I, I think then there was a sense of optimism that everything would go back to normal, which, of course, we've seen with the various uh Delta and Omicron waves, that that hasn't been the case. And um, although I'm sure so many of us are excited to be going back to concerts and plays and art galleries again, um, the, the artists in our community are still recovering from over two years of lost income during the pandemic. Um, there's a study that shows that performing and fine artists in California um, had a 20% drop in employment between 2019 mm. and 2022. And the average artist in California only makes about $36,000 a year. So so um, I created this, this series, Our Creative Futures, to, to really show, uh, to validate the experiences that artists in our community are going through and then also to celebrate the innovative and resourceful ways that they're not only sustaining their creative practices, but also um, helping their communities navigate these challenges. Yeah. I mean, we know that obviously the pandemic, as you've noted, I mean, it had this this terrible impact on people, particularly performers and people who needed to gather people in order to, to do their art. But as you also mentioned, you know, the amount of money that people were making before as artists in California was already really low. And then we've got these other pieces of what it is to be in the Bay Area. So even before the pandemic, what were the sort of real difficulties for Bay Area artists of all kinds? Yeah, I think the cost of living, most of all, um, we already at KQD Arts and Culture, we've been covering for years how artists are getting displaced out of San Francisco and Oakland and the rest of the Bay Area or going to extraordinary lengths to stay here. So many of these factors were already an issue before the pandemic. And then now with, um, with show cancellations that happened over the past two years, um, also, gas prices and inflation now, uh, that climate has only gotten more challenging. Yeah. I've also heard from friends in the arts community a kind of frustration with our local wealthy people for not investing in the arts community, for not providing the kind of levels of support and philanthropy that, that allow people to really make a living. Yeah, I've heard the same. Absolutely. Um, I think that there are those that do fund foundations that give out artist grants and, and their contributions, you know, shouldn't be forgotten. But at the same time, there's um, such a wealth disparity in the Bay Area and it's taking a huge toll on the arts and artists ability to just be creative. Yeah. You know, Carlos, I, I wanted to ask you but maybe some of the difficulties that different artists have found in kind of managing the desire to continue to show their work, to continue to, to perform, but also keeping their own communities and their own people safe. Totally. Yeah. And I think for that, a great example of that is Open to All. And we have uh, Gorilla Davis he, over here with us, who's one of the creators of Oakland to All, which is a collective uh, created by... So Gorilla, Ashley Banks, and uh, and Shireen Rahimi, and they've been producing balls, uh, with, which are the spaces where people can come and perform. I mean, voguing is part of it, but also there's so much more to it. And they've been changing the structure of these balls to center mental health and substance abuse issues. So it's all about creating a space where people can perform again, but also where conversations about uh, you know, the stuff that people are going through day to day uh, relating to their mental health or issues about substance abuse that they're going through or their friends are going through. Mm -hmm. Like they can talk about it openly. 
that they can connect to like existing resources or agencies that can provide them support with that. Um, so it's it's something really cool that's transforming the ballroom the ballroom scene across the Bay Area, and it's partly due to the tough conversations that have come up during the pandemic. Yeah, well, we're going to talk more about that a little later and talk with Grill Banks, uh, Nastia. Wanted to you know focus in on something that that Carlos was saying, which is this isn't really just about how artists are finding just dollars. This series really seems to focus on the people who are building arts infrastructure, this work that's normally kind of overlooked. But, you know, if you want to have gallery shows, you need to have galleries. If you want to have, you know, ballroom competitions, you need to have people who are who are actually building and presenting those events. Yeah, um, I think there are the stories of really cool artists creating interesting things at the core of each piece in this series, but also each story sort of zooms out into what are the the systems um, that, that are supporting the arts in this climate. So, so we wrote about mutual aid networks that artists are creating themselves. Um, Gorilla is a great example of that, actually. And then uh, we, we also covered um, government models to fund the arts, like guaranteed income and um, nonprofit models as well. Well, let's talk about uh, your piece, Nastia, in this package. Um, it's about a beloved artist, at least for, for me and a lot of other people on forum and KQD, Ladonia. Yeah. Um, so for those that don't know, Ladonia is one of the, the biggest breakout artists who come out of San Francisco in the past two years. Um, she creates this really exciting blend of of traditional Mexican and Latin American music and then modern sounds um, like hyphy and hip hop and dumbo and reggaeton. And so she's, she's uh, really popular both locally and getting her eyes nationally. She's been featured in the New York Times and recently performed at South by Southwest. And um, she kind of gave us a, a peek behind the curtain of what it takes to sustain a career at that level. And it requires constant work that's both creating music and rehearsing and performing with her band, um, funding tours. She also, you know, has to handle the the booking and logistics of that, the whole business side. And then also in this social media attention economy, she she's also constantly creating content. So that that's kind of multiple jobs um, all rolled into one that independent artists have to do to sustain the momentum of their careers. And something that's helping her is... Um, is the San Francisco's guaranteed income pilot for artists, which is um, $1,000 a month um, unconditional cash transfer that the city is giving to 130 artists right now. Wow. You know, one of the things that you point out, too, is that um, a lot of the artists in our area, because they need to, like, make ends meet, they end up teaching, too. And so when there were problems with schools or, you know, outside instructors or, or programs or cut or things like that, they they do need to sort of fill these gaps, which is one of the things that this universal basic income pilot's trying to do, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Ladonia teaches the, in the mariachi music program in the San Francisco Unified School District and Oakland Unified School District. And she's also an instructor for SF Jazz's Jazz in the Middle program. Um, and in our interview, she pointed out that the, these are contract gigs. They're not jobs with benefits necessarily. Um and that there's also kind of a double bind of um, being an artist who's also an educator because um, 
teaching is one of the ways artists have traditionally made a living and um, they, now they can be exposed to COVID in the classroom, which could throw off their plans to perform and tour. And likewise, they can also be exposed to COVID while on tour, which would prevent them from teaching. So mm-hmm. they're navigating these really tight spaces and, and other side hustles that artists have typically turned to like food service or driving mm-hmm. ride shares are impacted in similar ways. And all of the things that you just mentioned, this is like precarious labor, contract work, you know, they've got to manage also their health insurance and, and all those things. So this this UBI pilot, um, it's been administered by the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, right? And I just want to know a little bit more about how did, was this received when it came into the community? Yeah, so the, this program launched in May of last year, and um Although I, I think artists were really happy to see a program like this, there there was some criticism of how it was rolled out. Um, so the Yerba Buena Center for, for the Arts um, basically created an application process that, that was limited by income and certain zip codes that were hardest hit by the pandemic. Um, but uh, the the ultimate selection was sort of randomized, and so so people so there were critics of the program that that said that um, it, the money should have really gone to the artists with the greatest need. Um, but part of uh, YBCA's philosophy on this program also is that everyone is deserving of economic security, and they don't necessarily um, want artists to to um, to compete for for this grant. You know, based on like in, in the grant world. There, there's kind of this paradigm where artists have to um, to write about their traumas to to be seen as worthy of funding, and and so the, this um, program ha- has a sort of different take that everyone mm-hmm. is worthy. You know, last thing before we go to the break and, and bring in a whole bunch of artists, it's going to be fun. Um, how how else have you seen governmental institutions try to support artists through the pandemic, or have they been focused on on other things during this time? Um, there, there hasn't been much support from government institutions for individual artists. There, there have been relief programs for, for example, for independent music venues um, and promoters, or um, there have been programs targeted at nonprofits. But what San Francisco is doing, what, what the Guaranteed Income Pilot for artists is, um, is pretty innovative in that regard. We're talking about the creative economy and how artists are making it through this long, long pandemic. We're joined by Nastia Vonovskaya, associate editor at KQED Arts and Culture, and Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, reporter uh, with KQED. And again, we do want to hear from you. How did you find ways to support yourself as an artist during the pandemic? And how did you help build the community around you? Uh, of artists and of artist supporters. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. feel like that work of building the arts community is so often overlooked. Uh, numbers 866-733-6786. Get in touch, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're KQD Forum, or the email is forum at kqd.org. Stay tuned for a whole bunch of artists. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We've been talking about... The creative economy, we've got a great new package on kqd.org called Our Creative Futures. And we're talking about how artists are making it through the pandemic. I want to bring in a trio of artists uh, who are all making it work. Uh, first, we've got Kim Requesto, a multidisciplinary artist and a cultural practitioner at Belay Creative Studios. Welcome, Kim. Hey, Alexis. Thank you so much for having me on. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Doing well, doing well. We've also got Roz Nash, founder of the People's Conservatory and a co-founder of The Agency. Welcome, Roz. Thank you. And we've got Gorilla Davis, performing artist with Oakland to all. Welcome, Gorilla. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, Gorilla, let's uh, start with you. Uh, You know, before the break, Carlos was talking a little bit about... um, Open to all and, you know, this kind of rich ballroom scene that has this amazing history among BIPOC queer communities. How'd you get involved with, with ballroom? So I actually got involved in ballroom when I first moved to the Bay Area around seven years ago. And I met my mother, Jasmine Infinity, here, who grew up in ballrooms. She's a DJ. Um, and she threw, an, she threw a ball and I was um, an amateur photographer at the time. And she booked me to shoot her ball. Um, and so that was kind of like my first introduction into ballroom. Mm-hmm. And at that event is where um, I was able to meet my chosen family. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to meet the crew, the collective of DJs that I'm now a part of. Um, and I just kind of was able to grow and explore my interest as an artist, as a DJ, I was as a photographer and event producer. Um, and it kind of just changed my life mm-hmm. to where we are now with Open to All and all the things that are going on. What? has that chosen family meant for you through this really difficult and isolating time of the pandemic? So um, for some, something for a lot of people in ballroom, there's a lot of shared experience that we have around chosen family um, for a lot of us, you know, we're all born innocent, but unfortunately, especially for black and brown queer and trans people, um, we grew up being discarded. We grew up experiencing oppression. A lot of us come from super religious Christian backgrounds or conservative families um, and I unfortunately have to experience things like teen, teen homelessness um, and having to resort to like what public health calls high risk, um, high risk things like uh, sex work, selling drugs, joining a gang, et cetera, et cetera. We're forced into the margins of society and have to do so many things just to survive. Um, and ballroom is one of those spaces. And it's a culture of chosen families where you can have that support, not only mental, emotional support, but physical support in the actual house. Um, it's a different kind of family than your immediate family. It's a, it's a chosen family that you choose, they choose you. Um, and that, that kind of really helped me, you know, survive as a teenager into where I am now. I'm a father with over 10 children in LA here and here, the Bay and Boston. Um, and without chosen family, I don't know where any of us would be. Yeah. 
And that when you say father in that context, you're not talking about you have 10 babies. You're talking about that within the context of this ballroom scene and its sort of chosen family dynamics, right? Yes, a, a father as in chosen family, as in uh, we're chosen. Like we chose each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not, not a biological father, a chosen yeah. father. Um, I was about to say, you've been busy. Uh, <laughs> um, so with Oakland to all, um, the you all have really adapted. It's in uh, Carlos wrote this great story about what you all have been doing during the pandemic. You've all really adapted to try to center particular issues during the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes. So, um, so open. Ashley Basquiat, also known as Ashley Banks, and me, Gorilla Pump. And I'm part of a collective called We Are The Ones We've Been Waiting For. Mm -hmm. And it, it's essentially it's an artist-based collective that focuses on mutual aid. Um, and prior to the pandemic, we were doing a lot of um, events and fundraisers for community experiencing urgent need. Um, specifically, we're uh, working with trans asylum seekers inside detention and, and using um, art and events to raise money to give to girls in detention, like to put on their commissary. Um, and our work just kind of like continued to grow throughout that first year. And then the pandemic hit. And what was interesting for us was that, um, you know, a lot of arts uh, things around the city, a lot of clubs, a lot of uh, galleries, everything shut down. Um, but for, for our collective, the need of our community just kind of like rose exponentially. Um, there's a lot of sex workers, a lot of artists who just didn't have access to making money in the ways that they used to. Mm. Um, so like the need for mutual aid, our mutual aid uh, work just kind of really grew. Um, and we were known for our dance party renegades, um, our art market fairs. We were just doing a lot of things outside, outdoors. Um, and all the events that we did just kind of got bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. um, there was this big mural that we did at, um, at Lake Merritt. Um, There's a couple art actions that we did. And at each event that we did, we were, we were raising money. Um, and we're using that money and giving it to folks who are, who need it, who needed it. Um, but also a portion of the money from each event just carried on to the next one. And that's how we did our uh, first open to all at the lake. I think we had around $2,000 that we had accrued, um, from all the events that we did. And that $2,000, uh, funded that our first ball at the lake. Um, and during the time, um, it was fire season. The Proud Boys were everywhere. Um, it was at the height of Black Lives Matter. And so, you know, we wanted to use the space to not only, you know, bring communities safely together, but also just kind of creatively express our resistance and just like be there with community um, in a way that was culturally responding to what's culturally uh, happening at the time, something that's relevant. Um, and yeah. That's great. All right, we're going to come to uh, what you have coming up next, but let's hear from... Kim Requesto. Um, let's talk about, Kim, let's first talk about your own artistic practice. Like, you're, you're a dancer, right? Yes. So I am a dancer. I also identify as a multidisciplinary artist. And mm -hmm. I also work with um, film medium and also um, 35 millimeter film. Uh, but my main practice really is in Philippine dance and really focusing on the indigenous dances of the Philippines. Yeah. And you also right, you publish a, a zine called Unedited Film. Can you tell us a little bit about that, too, which kind of kind of tied in with a lot of your other work, seems like. Yes, of course. So um, I published a zine called Unedited Film, Gonohofo um, Lake Cebu, Philippines. That's basically the area of where the films were or the photos were um, 
created. And so in February 2020, like right before the pandemic, I was on a research trip with the uh, Philippine dance organization that I'm part of called Barangal Dance Company. And we visited the Tiboli people of Guanajuato in Lake Cebu. And with the permission of the community leader, um, her name's Boy Rosie, um, I created a zine to showcase and highlight their daily life. And, you know, it's it's a way to provide folks in the diaspora who wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to visit um, the Taboli community to see what their life is like and to get to know them um, through visual, um, through you know, through pictures. Um, and at the same time, it's a, I was able to also support their mission of building a larger school of traditions um, for their community by using the zines to fund, um, you know, to fund um, yeah. a kind of like a donation process. Yes. So tell us about what getting through this pandemic's been like uh, for you. You know, there's, it's a pandemic, so there's a ups <laughs> and downs of like every day. Um, but as an artist, it, it really gave me a lot of opportunity to reflect in um, my art and also how, how I wanted to progress. And it provided me a lot of opportunity to look into more resources and more orgs that would help support me in the mm. long run. And so you've been a part of this community, Ballet Creative, now. How has it helped you? I mean, we're kind of really focusing on this kind of infrastructure, this ecosystem of arts and in kind of mutual aid organizations that have that have sprung up. Um, how, did, how did you end up working with Belay Creative and, and how has it gone? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, just to go back a little. So Belay Creative, um, it's located in the Soma Pilipinas district, which is the Philippine Cultural Heritage District. Um, and it's also a Philippinex American cultural center that supports creatives by providing studio space for resident artists and programs and also other resources. And so, um, they, they had a grant program that they were doing in 2020 that I applied for. Um, and it was really through that grant that enabled me to produce my, my zine. Um, and since then I was able to do other things with Bella Creative. Um, when I needed to showcase my dance films, they let me also utilize their streaming hub to um, host that event. Mm. And, you know, for a, a place like Bella Creative, you know, how would you, what would you do if you didn't have them? If I didn't have Ballet Creative, I think, you know, it's, I've learned, especially in the field of work that I do, is that you always want to reach out to your community. And thankfully, um, you know, we have a really large Filipinx community in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm happy that we have Ballet Creative because it, it, it's kind of acting like this newer generation of a, of a cultural center. And, you know, we have we already have some established orgs, but um, I think it's cool. More. It's cool in yeah. a different kind of way. I mean, yeah, you know, it's like people know how to put together a website. It looks, you know, yeah. yeah. Yes. And they also provide a lot of artist resources that I wish I had when I was starting as an artist. That's cool. Hey, thank you so much, Kim Requesto. Um, let's uh, talk with Roz Nash. Roz Nash, uh, founder of the People's Conservatory, co-founder of the agency in Oakland. Um, Roz, how about you personally? You know, you're all, everyone here is both working on community stuff as well as an artist. So how about you, uh, how'd you weather the difficulties of pandemic as an artist? Roz, can you hear me? 
Rosnash. Maybe we'll, uh, while we fix your line, I think we'll uh, bring in Randy from uh, Benicia, an artist. Welcome, Randy, to the show. Alexis, thank you. Hey, um, thank you. Thanks for calling time, us, Randy. Long-time listener, really long-time listener, <laughs> uh, yeah, but first-time caller. Um, uh, love your show today, as as um, as always. Um, and this is a very personal um, issue for me as well, being a, um, I would call a, um, a midlife artist, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, been doing it for a long time. Um, lived in San Francisco for 25 years, supplemented my, my income as an artist by teaching at the Academy of Art and Pixar among other places. Now I teach workshops around the country <clears throat> and, um, have shifted to more online, Mm-hmm. Uh, work as well as as many. Is that of what kind other... of saved you during the pandemic, or or uh, did you were uh, well, able to continue selling work during ironically, that time? Sort of ironically, uh, or um, coincidentally, I guess um, I was already in motion with with creating more online um, mm-hmm. mentorship course that is through the Tucson Art Academy. And um, there's a few other artists that mentor through their school as well. It's on, all online work, um, but yes, that is that is the case. With uh, I did other other Zoom sessions with um, other other organizations. Um, but and I want to hats off to the rest of the guests. I think that what I really would like to just um, put out there is that community is really I think key. Um, as well as just being creative, I think that as artists, that that um, just comes with the territory. But but um, being creative in the hustle of the art business, or or you know, supporting yourself as an artist, is is really key. So you have to do what you can. Yeah. Um, I moved out of the city in 2005 to Vallejo, and there was a big uh, spread in the. Um, home and garden section that uh, <laughs> documenting that move that because the artists were being squeezed out of the city. Uh, so it's not an, it's not a new story. Um, you know, it's just sort of an ongoing thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, well, it's, ha- it's happening yeah. here as well. Um, um, in Benicia at, at the uh, arsenal, the Benicia arsenal, historic arsenal that has been home to artists throughout the years. <clears throat> And artists are some of the buildings here are for whatever reason are squeezing some of the artists out of there. Arts Benicia itself had to move over the past year. Um, they're they're a big visual arts center here for the community. Yeah, and a- <clears throat> um, uh, our own uh, sort of cluster of buildings in the arsenal are putting on an open studios this weekend. As a matter of fact, um, that uh, is just grassroots effort. You know, the artists that are here just just coming together and trying to help each other out. All right. Well, check out Benicia Open Studios there. Thank you so much for that perspective, Randy. First first time call. Appreciate it after being a, a long time uh, listener. And it's just amazing to me how the Bay Area's problems seem fractal sometimes. You know, these big problems in San Francisco, slightly smaller problems in Oakland. So, you know, or, or same version of the problems, but in smaller form in Oakland and Benicia and Vallejo. Um, we've got uh, Roz Nash back on the line, founder of the People's Conservatory and co-founder of the agency in Oakland. Uh, w- welcome, Roz. 
Thank you. How y'all doing? Hey, good, good. So, um, talk to me about how you personally have weathered the difficulties of the pandemic as an artist. Um, well, child, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been an artist, um, uh, for 40 years. And, um, so I've been weathering storms for a very long time. Um, all kinds of storms. <laughs> and, uh, so I've weathered storms as, you know, as a teen coming into artistry as a dancer and then moving into music. And then I moved to New York when I was 17 and I had to learn how to being a you know a music artist in New York on my own for about 24 years and um traveled the world and you know just kind of uh you know suffered and 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 succeeded and suffered and succeeded and and so there's there's many there's many highs and lows in being an artist and a pandemic is not going to really change much as, as far as I'm concerned because Every every year is a pandemic of some sort in our lives. So, you know, I, I you know, and as a black woman just navigating this world, um, it's it's not really it honestly, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's given me some time to rest myself mm-hmm. and give myself some time to say, you know what, I've been doing this for a minute. And maybe this is time for me to just rest because black women don't get to rest. And I'm a single mom of twins. So we needed a break. I saw that. Your so, your twins look young too. So um They yeah, are, I, honey. <laughs> I was wondering, you know, it seems like your response to that has been to kind of embed in this ecosystem of different creative organizations and, and businesses, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I had, I, I've been running, uh, you know, I've, I've been a, a, a performing artist my whole life. And then I sort of got into youth development in New York in a couple of organizations there and then started a couple of organizations there myself before moving back home, which is where I grew up. I grew up here in San Francisco. And so I came back here about seven and a half years ago uh, with my twins and was just kind of looking for uh, just uh, some space to slow it down a bit. Um, And I had gotten my degree. I'd gotten my business degree from NYU in arts management. And I was just like, maybe it's time for me to like really create something big (laughs) and um, something that can support many, many more artists than I've been able to do just as an individual kind of like a vendor. And so um, when I got here, I was able to uh, help found a school called Roses and Concrete, uh, which is a school for Mm -hmm. black and brown, just kind of supporting black and brown unity, um, you know, supporting, um, you know, bilingual education, arts education. And I've been an arts educator for this will be my 30th year as an arts educator. And so, you know, I wanted to help the school build an arts curriculum. Yeah, we're... Roz, you may have lost you one more time, but we will, Sorry. Come, we will come back to you in just a second. We're talking about the creative economy, how artists are making it through, you know, the pandemic and this life uh, with uh, Roz Nash, founder of the People's Conservatory, Gorilla Davis, a performing artist at Oakland to All, Kim Requesto, multidisciplinary artist and cultural practitioner with Belay Creative Studios. We also have KQED's own Nastia Bonovskaya and Carlos Cabrera Lomeli. And we'd love to hear from you. The number is 866-733-6786. How have you kind of burrowed into your community, found your ecosystem of support out there? The number is 866-733-6786. We'll be back to talk about our creative futures in just a moment. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about our Creative Futures, a wonderful package put together by KQD Arts and Culture team. Uh, Before the break, we were just talking with Roz Nash, founder of the People's Conservatory and co-founder of The Agency in Oakland. And Roz, I just wanted to give you a chance to finish up and particularly to tell us about The Agency uh, in Oakland. Yes, no problem. Sorry about that. (laughs) No problem, no problem. Um, Yeah, I was just saying that um, from Roses and Concrete, I was able to, um, we were able to really integrate the arts in that school and provide uh, over 150 arts classes per week for 300 kids. And so it kind of proved as a model for how we could do it in other schools. So that's how I started my current organization, the People's Conservatory. And so we're now in 16 schools and we serve over 5,000 kids. And these are all majority black and brown babies that are underserved, um, that do not have arts programs in their schools and it's a way you know we've been able to create you know create an economy for artists to be able to you know as I believe Nastia was nodding to earlier is you know we all have hustles side hustles mm-hmm. you know and so being able to um, provide jobs for artists to to extend their craft to young people is, is a really indelible part of that that uh, process of being an artist you know sharing your craft is a part of being an artist so and I've always done it so um, so so I really relish the fact that we're able to provide you know these economies for for artists to be able to to make money and to pers- and to continue their work but also be able to give give back to the babies and so when i met asan jethmal he was he was doing work at the Tribune building and, you know, providing space for artists outside in the Tribune parking lot during the pandemic, which I thought was pretty innovative. And he allowed me to use the space to teach my dance classes to my kids. And so we built a friendship off of that. And so he was able to um, forge a new uh, sort of relationship with the Tribune developers, the, uh, sorry, the owners of the Tribune building who are developers. And they bought this huge, huge, huge uh, facility called uh, now called the Loom, which used to be a cotton mill factory in the mm. 1800s okay so it's got a loaded loaded mm. history mm-hmm. and um and so when we walked into it we were just like what is this you know and what was this and so we started to kind of dig into the history and understand what it was and we're just kind of like wow this is something that we have to be a part of because if we're not what are these developers going to do with it? <laughs> you know, like, what, what, like, how are they going to f- finesse this and really appeal to community when it has such a loaded history, when it really needs like a huge cleansing and it needs like, you know, our bodies in here, you know, deciding how this should go. And so we were able to acquire a space and start to just kind of work it out and figure out well, how would we use this space for our organizations? And that's kind of how I went into it was to find a space, a home for my kids, for, for TPC, for the People's Conservatory. But we just kind of quickly realized 
artists really need space right now. We should use this as a venue. Mm -hmm. Like people need this as a venue. And so then we started to rent it out to artists, you know, all, all sorts of different kinds of artists, folks that are doing, you know, album releases, folks are doing community gatherings, folks who are doing dance parties, um, folks are doing funerals, um, just kind of run the gamut of what community needed because people need space right now. And this is a large space where people feel pretty safe, really tall ceilings, mm. large 10,000 square feet. So you can really stretch out and feel like you're, you're able to, you know, have that distance, but still celebrate with each other. So that's kind of how I found my way in there. Thank you so much, Roz Nash. I love that this is all the stuff you're doing while you're finding rest. <laughs> <With your Twitch. laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we are also joined by Nastia Bonaskaya, associate editor at KQD Arts and Culture, Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, uh, reporter at KQED, Kim Requesto, uh, multidisciplinary artist Roz Nash, you just heard, and Gorilla Davis, performing artist at Oakland to all. We've got a bunch of calls coming in. I want to get to uh, just get a few more artists on the air here. Uh, Marie in Los Gatos, welcome. Hello. So with the pandemic, a lot of my shows went virtual or got canceled. I'm an oil painter and I I was taking everything really hard with the fires and the political upheavals and just all the tragedy. So I decided I would change my my medium and I started embroidering these beautiful silk um, rainbows onto vintage photographs to really heal myself. And I would share those daily on social media Um, and we turned them into postcards and sent them all over the world to anyone who wanted a rainbow. And it really created a sense of community. And at the end, when the restrictions were lifted, I had a pop-up in my studio. And it was such a wonderful time of celebration of getting community back and sort of looking at this experience that we've had. And I used that time to um, join Artist Alliance, which is a great online forum for artists to connect and um, up your artistic practice. And now on the other side of this, I am now going to have my first solo museum show coming up June 17th at New Museum in Los Gatos. So I really use that time to build community and work on work that was essential to me. I I remember one thing I heard at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, use this time to really focus on what matters to you the most. Just go deep into that. And that's what's really what saved me. Oh, man. Hey, thank you for sharing that. It's nice to hear a good story. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Maria and Los Gatos, and, and congratulations on your first uh, museum show in there in Los Gatos. Um, Nick in Fairfax. Yes, I just wanted to mention that many years ago in New York City, uh, where I lived at the time, uh, you would see in industrial areas uh, a sign on some buildings that said AIR, AIR stood for artist in residence, and it was a special arrangement from the city that allowed uh, artists to reside in industrial buildings, which were not at the time zoned for living. And this was the time when light manufacturing was on the wane, and there was a lot of empty space. And so artists had huge spaces where they could live fairly cheaply and practice their art. That is pretty much how uh, Soho got started. But I remember those signs, and I, I lived in, in buildings like that at the time, and certainly would be nice to see something like that happen in, yeah. in areas now that, where artists need a break just to get by. That. Yeah. Hey, that, uh, Nick, thank you so much for that. And, you know, Nastya, I wanted to throw that one to you. Do we see different communities trying to get people, get specific artist housing? 
Um, it's funny that Nick mentions that because, um, I think Oakland actually had, you know, like thriving, uh, uh, sort of underground, uh, unzoned artists love workspaces mm-hmm. for, for many years, but there was a major crackdown on that after the 2016 ghost ship fire. Yeah. Um, so many artists warehouses got evicted because of unsafe living conditions. Um, and then there's, there's also now competition with, um, but between artists who uh, want to take advantage of those types of spaces and um, the cannabis industry that uses a lot of those warehouse type properties for, for growing. Um, so uh, I, I have not seen a major movement for artist housing. Um, if there is one, I would like to know about it and would like to cover it. So uh, my inbox is open. Yeah, it is. It just does, you know, it's, it's, We've got to make, if we want to have artists in our communities right now, it does feel like we have to do some pretty specific things given the kind of financial realities of, of being an artist. Uh, Jennifer in Santa Rosa, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, so I'm a painter in Santa Rosa, and um, during the pandemic when everything was really shut down, I did a lot of work, but I also have a studio that connects with a mini gallery. And it's an outdoor indoor space. So I found people were really turning to art. They were feeling so bad and everything felt like it was ending in a way. And I found that um, I had quite a few visitors in a safe way. They had their masks on. It was indoor, outdoor. And people were seeking art because they felt so bad. So I saw a bit of a rise in, in, in the interest of art. And we sold. I mean, we have a couple artists that show there and my own work. And it's, it's in Sebastopol and it's an outdoor, indoor place called the Barlow. And I saw an uprising, the love of art. Now, since then, other things have, have always been, you know, are difficult, but that's just how I felt. And a lot of artists went inward more and beautiful work came out. So it wasn't all bad. Yeah. You know, Kim Requesto, I wanted to send this one over to you. You know, we've heard in these last couple calls uh, people talking about going going inward during the pandemic. Did you do some of that too, in addition to kind of branching out to to the community and helping create these support structures? Um, definitely, I, I yes did. Um, so a lot of what I did also was um, I'm a dancer at, at the heart of all my work. I'm a dancer. Um, and so I, I took that time to really ground myself in my movement and to use that as, as a way to meditate and to to really like breathe. Um, there's a form of dance called Bangalai. It's a traditional pre-colonial dance form. Um, and I use those moments while I'm moving to to breathe and meditate and just, you know, really look within and to think about my practice and how I'm evolving that um, so that's that's one way I, I took it inward. That's beautiful. Gorilla Davis, how about you? Your art form is about performance, but obviously there's a, a lot more that goes into it. Were you able to spend time going inward too, kind of driven by the various challenges and griefs of this pandemic? Yeah, so um, I'm actually not a performing artist. I'm a photographer and a DJ. And I'm a, also like a cultural like organizer. And I kind of use that uh, my organizing, I view it as an art because I'm using it to bring people together in a creative way. Um, but one thing that I really learned and a lot of people in our collective learned is self-care. 
Um, Because a lot of the work, again, that we do is based around mutual aid and it's helping each other and helping community. Um, But there's almost so much that you could do if you don't take care of yourself first. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we live in the Bay Area, social justice warriors, whatever you want to call it. Um, There's a lot of martyrdom, a lot of wanting to do for others. Um, But something that we learned in our collective and in our community is how can we take care of ourselves, our mental health, our spiritual health, our emotional health, our physical health. Um, And there are, you know, access to resources that we don't always have just because of the marginalized identities that that we live with. Um, So, you know, calling on your friends, calling on community, chosen family can show up in certain ways if you ask. Um, But self-care is definitely um, the biggest thing that I've, I've learned throughout the pandemic, for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Gorilla. DJ, photographer, organizer, Gorilla Davis with Oakland to all. You know, Tammy writes in to say, through a partnership between Dow Rising and Akinati Foundation, the Creatives in Place Listening Project explores the stories of 22 diverse Bay Area artists to unearth what it feels like to survive and thrive in the Bay Area during a time of great upheaval. Uh, you can check that out, which sounds great. Creativesinplace.org. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. Maybe you've noticed. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Wanted to get to uh, one more call. Maybe we have time for two. Uh, Tom in Mill Valley. Hey, Tom. Welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on. <clears throat> I believe you just talked to a friend of mine, Randy, a few minutes ago. Oh, fun. Um, the, way I sur- <laughs> yeah, the way I survived the pandemic... Um, I felt, you know, pretty much trapped with everybody else. So what I decided to do was, <clears throat> since I'm a plein air artist, I took my easel out. Plain air means I pee on location. I went out to Mount Tam. I went out to Muir Beach. Went out to Slide Ranch. And I painted. And then what I did was I took a photograph of the painting with the scenery, not me in it, and I just posted it on the local website. I got so many responses. I had old collectors come out of the woodwork. I had people calling me up, coming by my studio. And my gallery started selling very well. The past two years were some of the best two years I've ever had because people were not traveling. They had extra money. They were fixing up their homes, and they decided to buy art. And like Randy, I've been in painting in in the Bay Area for 40 years, in in Marin especially. And the past couple of months, I had to move to Burlingame because I could not afford the rent. They kept jacking the rent up. Like always, people want to live where the artists are, and the artists can no longer afford because the rents go up. You know, housing is the whole new problem. Luckily, yeah. I've got a place in Burlingame. My gallery down here is doing very well. The new Burlingame Community Center is opening up soon. They're going to be featuring over 20 of my paintings. So things are doing really well for me, but you've got to market, and artists are not good at marketing. You've got Tom, to be on top of it. You've got to keep in touch with your collectors. Yeah, Tom, thank you for that. Also, uh, one interesting thing about the show is just seeing you know the spread of artists just all, all over the Bay Area, kind of a, a maybe unintended effect of that housing crisis. It's, it's just pushing people all all across the bay and pushing in particular artists. Uh, Robert writes in to say, one of the best ways to support local artists is to visit various Bay Area open studios like the annual San Francisco event held over four weekends every fall or the current East Bay open studios. We heard Randy mention uh, the ones up in Benicia, including this weekend. You meet fascinating artists, see fresh art up close, enjoy some wine and cheese, and if inclined, buy art directly from the source. Most of the art I have at home I acquired at open studios. Nastia, you know, as you've heard all these uh, different stories and as you've, you know, put this package together, are there sort of other threads that we haven't gotten to yet that you that you think are been a real part of this experience for uh, artists during the pandemic? 
Well, I think in in the way that we often cover arts, it's with an emphasis on the consumer experience, like what can we listen to and go go do. But I think um, running the running thread through all of these stories is um, also, you know, as as people that appreciate the contributions of artists in our cities and and the way that artists make our, our cities vibrant and expose us to new ideas. Um, it's really important to be intentional about supporting the local artists in our communities, whether that's buying tickets to their events or buying their music on Bandcamp and, and things like that, um, or even donating to mutual aid as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things I keep thinking about just hearing everybody is the kind of ecologies of care that have kind of developed during this time. You know, Carlos, in, in your reporting, you know, uh, alongside um, Oakland Tall, have you discovered other organizations that, that seem to have that same kind of framework? Yeah, of course. And this is, I'm thinking of Mission Meals in San Francisco. That's a mutual aid collective in the Mission District created by Gabriela Aleman or Smug Morenita on Instagram, who use her platform as a graphic artist to crowdfund for a mutual aid collective that's feeding hundreds of families across Mm -hmm. the Mission District, the Excelsior. Um, I'm also thinking about the work that artists at Local Color in San Jose are doing. Um, they've been really instrumental in bringing people back to San Jose's downtown. Um, as we saw in 2020 and 2021, a lot of people, a lot of small businesses has left San Jose's downtown. And it's really been artists, um, that are bringing back, uh, Mm -hmm. life back to Mm -hmm. downtowns across the Bay area. And I think that shows like something really, a really key point, which is, uh, what is the responsibility of local officials, local authorities, to artists that are taking mm-hmm. on this burden that of, you know, taking care of communities that really should be being taken uh, up by officials, by authorities. Artists are doing the work that people, that other people, that officials, that government don't, aren't really doing. And, you know, it's, it's amazing because you look at other countries, uh, like if you look at the support that Canada, for example, provides for uh, filmmakers who are first peoples, uh, you know, indigenous folks of Canada, it's it's pretty remarkable what we what we aren't doing here. Or you know, classic example of of France as well. Um, Curtis writes, in the fall of 2019, another listener, we established the Pape's music stage at our coffee roastery in Napa. During the pandemic, we coordinated at home events for musicians to keep them engaged in playing and promoting their music. We offer local musicians a music-centric space to perform. We live stream, produce live music videos, and conduct and produce Meet the Musician interviews with performers to help them enhance their electronic press kit, and they do it all at no charge. We've been talking about the series, Our Creative Futures, from KQED Arts and Culture and how artists are making it through the pandemic. Been joined by Nastia Bonevskaya, Associate Editor, KQED Arts and Culture, and Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, a reporter with KQED. Thanks to the two of you. Thanks, Alexis. Thanks for having us. We've also been joined by Kim Requesto, a multidisciplinary artist and cultural practitioner with Belay Creative Studios. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. Roz Nash has joined us, founder of the People's Conservatory and co-founder of the agency in Oakland. Thank you, Roz. Thank you for having me. And Gorilla Davis, a DJ, photographer, and organizer with Oakland to All. Thank you, Gorilla. Thank you so much, and good morning, everybody. This hour forms produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Juan, Cesar Saldana, 
Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, and Chris Hoff. Interns are Jennifer Ng and Paul C. Kelly Campos. Susan Davis is our senior producer. Executive editor is Ethan Tobin. Lindsay, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.